House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are at the interview part of the show. Um, today we are talking horror, and um, we've got a great guest. He's done a lot of books, and... Um, it should be interesting. So uh, thank you for being here, uh, Scott Gorsak. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, hey, so how did you get involved in in writing horror? Like, where, where did that come from? You know, I always liked writing in high school. I had some fantastic teachers, which really fueled my passion for storytelling. And I guess I, I, it really caught fire when I used to watch movies, you know, during the old, uh, old days when Creature Feature was on Friday nights and all the scary shows. And I'd sit back and go, that was a really good story. And then I'd go, but if he had done this, <laughs> and basically being an uh, armchair quarterback for a movie, kind of got me to put myself on the spot and go, you know what? Shut up and do it yourself. So I started putting my thoughts down on paper and going from there and creating stories that amused me. And then Stephen King came along and introduced the world to Clive Barker. And I really got hooked on Clive Barker's writing. And it probably was a meeting way back in 1993 when Clive was on tour with his comic books that I was able to meet him. And he really turned me to the dark side. Uh, it was great. We went there to, for a signing he was having. And I guess he wasn't at his height of popularity because within 30, 40 people, the place was empty, and there I was just all the time in the world to have a conversation with Mr. Barker, and it was great. Wow. That's pretty um, influential, you know. Um, but I noticed a lot of your books, they're, they're pretty dark, much darker than the old Scarefest shows. Um is there a reason for that? You know, it just, it goes back to, oh, I don't remember who the quote was from, and it might have even been Edgar Allan Poe stating that there is no finer emotion than fear and because it gets the body in gear, it gets your blood pumping, um, it gets all your your dark emotions rolling, your brain goes into gear, and you're going, what now? And so I, I found that it just satisfied me uh, mentally to start writing the uh, darker stories. Um, my kids growing up will tell you that uh, it was a bit of an influence on them because I used to tell them bedtime stories, and it quite wasn't the fairy tale most people would imagine. Uh, <laughs> stories like Goldilocks and the Three Vampires, um, it never ended well. Um, the bl blood-sucking mushrooms, 
Uh, and to this day, my kids are all in their late teens and in their early 20s, and every once in a while at a holiday meal, uh, the kids will ask me to repeat some of these stories because they uh, still recall them after all these years. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, <laughs> Father of the year. Well, we survived. There was no uh, no therapy involved in any of my children through those formative years. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> um, so... Like I just wonder, so what is it you look for in a um, in a good horror story? Like what what are the important elements that you like to put in your own as well as read in others? Originality, and what I mean by this is, I'll write a story two or three times, and if I'm unhappy with it or I find something it resembles, I'll throw it away. And I like new, and it's got to be fresh. You know, so so many authors today will write along the lines of what's the most popular wave going on. And I understand that, and they want people to read them. But I find that if you're writing the popular wave, you're blending in with the crowd. It's a story that a reader will pick up and read. They'll enjoy it, but then they'll kind of forget about it later. Right. Where I'm striving when I put a story down on paper to be the next wave. And, you know, if you look back to the 70s, Stephen King is the one that brought horror back to the the public interest. Because for a while there, it was pretty quiet. And then Clive Barker kicked in with his generation of horror readers because their stories were both very fresh and new. Um, you will seldom see me submit to an anthology because the anthologies tend to be theme, um, the stories tend to be the same subject. And the way I write is I write when the thought comes to me so that I have no distraction. I take the story from my mind, I put it down, I'm not trying to please um, an editor or a publisher to fit in to that genre that the anthology is part of. So if it's zombies, I'm not going to just sit down and write a zombie story. If it's a ghost story, I'm not motivated to just write a ghost story because I find that I'm sacrificing the writing. Whereas when I'm out and about traveling or in my office and a thought comes to me and I create the story there, it's a higher quality. Because I'm not trying to uh, reach somebody's parameters to fit in. So I may take a story that I write in my office and shelve it for a few years, and if an anthology comes up that 
it'll fit into. I'll submit it because I haven't been tainted in any way. I'm truly written and submitting the best thing I can for that anthology. That's pretty interesting. Um, when you um, so when you put together a story, how do you know uh, if it's going to work or not? Like in your mind, when you start to put together, you have some original idea, and you start to um, get into you know doing the outline and all this stuff. Are there times when you kind of get things that you just put away and say, "No, that doesn't work." You know, if I get a really good idea, I'll just write it down and submit it into my um, idea file, and I'll come back to it when I'm in the zone. Um, recently, I, I wrote, started writing a story, and I knew it was something I was passionate about because by the time I looked up from the computer screen, I had already written 5,000 words uninterrupted. That's so a good sign. <laughs> pretty much when I know I'm on the right track. And there's probably no oh, there's no given time where I probably have 50 stories running at once. And at the moment I have those 50 short stories and four novels working at the same time. Wow. And That's a lot. I won't yeah, I won't sit there and just work on one because, oh, I want to get it done. It has to be thought-driven. It has to be intelligent, and it has to work. So if I work for an hour or two on a project and I, I burn myself out of, you know, creative fuel, I just save the work and put it aside. Because if I pick that work up two weeks from now, I may get different thoughts that will start adding to the story. Um, I don't let timelines and rushing compromise the work. It, it, I just now, is there a certain atmosphere or place you have to be when you write this type of work? No, believe it or not. Um, I no longer carry a pen and pad in my car since uh, cell phones have recorders on them, but um, I have a, a dream diary near the bed. I used to carry uh, an old cassette recorder in my car, and you never know when a good idea is going to hit you when you're driving down the road or you see some observation of life around you that you feel, hey, that could be a really good idea. So whatever interests me is or, or catches me intellectually that I can't let go of, that's when I know I have a good idea. Hmm, that's interesting. What do you want people to get out of your books uh, when they read them? So... You know, a person comes in, picks up your book, and goes, okay, and uh, is there something you want them to walk away with? The main goal is to entertain, to invoke emotion. A lot of my stories aren't just horror. You'll find yourself laughing. You'll find yourself crying. You'll find the fear in it. 
But I guess my main goal is when somebody reads one of my stories, the true compliment is that they pick it up and read it again, not put the book down and forget about it. So, and, and, and it's pretty layered, too. So each time you read it, you'll pick up something new usually, don't you? You know, Stephen King, I, I don't mean to use him so much, but, you know, he, he set down a really good foundation for horror writers. The problem is he wrote about almost everything in the world, and to find a fresh idea is taxing. So, you know, you could pretty much find Stephen King's written almost anything about everything at one time or another in his career, and I have to applaud him for that. Um, but without Stephen King and um, Lovecraft and other authors in the past, uh, I feel a lot of the horror writers today wouldn't be where they're at because they got a whole generation reading again scary things, and that's the goal. That's what we all want, and probably the best example of what I don't want to do is very much along the lines of what Hollywood is doing right now. Hollywood is trading money for satisfying the moviegoers' need. Um, and what I mean by this is we have sequels and prequels and remakes coming out every year. And I spoke to a few uh, colleagues in Hollywood, and I asked them what was going on, and they said it's simple. The investors in a movie look at taking a film that's already being done. It takes a minimal amount of money to do it, maybe $5 million, and they know that they're guaranteed a $15 million box office. So they're happy because they didn't lose money on a project. And they're missing the point of what their customers want, and that's the customers want something different. If you look at a lot of movies uh, that don't cost a lot of money, um, Blair Witch Project probably cost under $2,500 to make, and it was a box office smash, and it created a sequel. And I'm told in the next... Uh, few months, we may even see a remake of the film. Uh, another great example of the public looking for something different would be the Paranormal Activity film. I think that one was also filmed and produced for under $2,500. I think the majority of the money went to renting the movie cameras and renting the condominium that it was filmed in. But that was, uh, I don't have the figures right in front of me, but if you look it up, it was another box office smash, and it produced six sequels. So for a movie that cost less than $2,500, the movie-going public wanted to see it, and they showed it. And <clears throat> these both, both of these movies produced 
oh, probably over 900% profit. So it's not how much or conforming to what's popular right now. It's what's fresh and new that the public is really looking for, whether you're doing a movie or writing a book, and the sales don't lie. So, so you think the idea is the most important thing? Yes. I wonder. So um, you, do you believe in the paranormal and all that? Is that sort of a big influence for you? Yes, and a new story I'm working on right now, um, my daughter's uh, college dorm is haunted. And I had a slight experience there where I was helping her pack to come home for the summer, and we were upstairs uh, collecting her belongings, and I heard my car keys fly across the floor and hit the wall. And I had left them on a chair in the living room. So somehow or another, my keys ended up moving across the whole room and came to rest in the kitchen. And when I researched her dormitory, I discovered that her dorm was supposedly built on an old Indian burial ground in North Jersey. And uh, a, a lot of uh, paranormal happenings have been uh, told by many students who lived in this dormitory. Everything from scratching on windows on the second floor to shadow men appearing in the hallways and things falling off of shelves, uh, along with the lights flickering, which I also saw while I was there. So I'm going to have to say yes. <laughs> oh, I, I was just wondering because there's so much, um, well, it's, coming down now but there were so many television shows and ghost hunters and all this stuff going on um do you take part in that or does that influence you or are you talking about more just live experiences um more live experiences i don't watch those shows on television um only because i really got tired and not finding anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, <but> very disappointed <laughs> They're always hunting and never catching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I could do that do other, thing in my house. Well, yeah, I know, really. Um, do, do, so how does this, you know, I interview a lot of authors and writers, and some stay away and don't read anything in their own category as they don't want to be influenced um, in what they're writing, So, and others don't. So during your process when you are writing or in the process of putting a book together um do you stay away from other horrors and and movies and shows and books i stay away from the modern works. i'm a big fan of the classics dracula dr jekyll and mr hyde because it was a totally different writing pattern as what we have today but when you're reading somebody like Edgar Allan Poe, it's just such a, a fantastic experience. Um, his vocabulary, his thoughts are just 
quite honestly, I don't think anyone's caught up to Edgar Allan Poe yet. I think he's that far ahead of his game. But I like the old classics, and when I want to sit down um, and read something, I, I like to go to the, the used bookstores, and I picked up a book um, called The Haunted Omnibus, and when I looked at the copyright, it was probably 1920. So those are the stories I like to read right now. What, did you think the writers are um, not as good nowadays? Do you think their vocabulary and grammar and uh, and things like that are just not just not the standard? You can even say that about the general population. Do you think overall we're just at a lower standard than we should be? No, but it goes along with what I've been saying. When I'm reading the classics, I'm reading something fresh, uh, including their writing style. When you're talking about today and, and, and modern authors, I think they're all uh, very similar in their styles. But I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But for me, and enter being entertained, I like the older books. So now, with your books, um, what was your favorite one to do, or what was your favorite one to uh uh, to talk about um, out of all the different uh, um, books you've done and, and compilations and stories. Wow, that's that's rough, Alan. There there are just so many stories I've written. Uh, what did what change you? Like like you know uh, that's a, that's another angle. So when you wrote it and after you finished it and put it out. Uh, did it actually make a change in, 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 in something about you? Uh, I'm going to have to tell you that most of the stories are, have an emotional attachment to them. And what I mean by this is my wife will walk into my office and just find me absolutely bawling my eyes out because I've written such a powerful scene that it just moved me so much. Um, I'm trying to, to think of the one that really affected me the most. It, it's a, again, I don't have the, the title on the top of my head. It's, it's, it's silly. <laughs> that, I uh, no, I understand. I understand totally because I write and I get interviewed, and a lot of times it's something I did five, ten years ago, and it's kind of... Um, I, I kind of sometimes don't remember, um, I, you know, but, uh, yeah. I wrote, wrote a story about a guy leaving his child with his father. And basically the father, the guy goes away on, on his business trip to return to find his father wandering through the yard after suffering a stroke. The problem is his five-year-old daughter is missing. Um, the story's called Field of Shrieks. Without giving too much of the story away, I'm, I'm going to have to give a bit of it away. The daughter is never found again. Um, the son in, inherits the properties that his father owns 
father goes into a nursing home, and at one of these properties, the the author finds out that his father is a serial killer and has taken the lives of his mother, his prom date, and probably his daughter. And as he goes through the property, he ends up digging up some shallow graves and releasing spirits that point out where the other victims are. That one was very emotional. So uh, when you say emotional and stuff, is it tied to the characters themselves or is it just the story? Um, I try to write believable and very deep characters. So I'm writing it from the character's opinion. And as he's discovering the victims of his father who raised him as a child, as a single parent, he's conflicted with the man he knew and the man he's learning he was. And each one of his victims' spirits communicates with him as they're exhumed from their graves. So it's very emotional, some of the things that uh, are exchanged between the victim and our main character. So you get really involved um, emotionally in the story. That's my goal, to bring that out in the reader. So if I'm able to do that, knowing with what I'm putting on paper, I can only hope that I'm giving the reader that same experience. So these characters, where do they come from for you? Because these are, these are fictional characters. And um, so do they come from people that you know or have met, have seen, or is it complete imagination? And, and with these characters, how do you develop them? Like, how do you make them go through the process of, and, and where does that come from, where you put things on these characters and decide how they're going to act and react and get into their mental status? So, characters. Most of them are fictional, but there are a few people in there, and they know who they are, that are acquaintances of mine. Um, and some of them in there may have done something negative to me at one time or not, and they appear as a victim. <laughs> or if they're a good, a good friend, they, uh, they come, come through the story all the way. So, but believe it or not, a lot of it's just observations of life around us. We all see different characters and personalities in our everyday life. So I just build on that. And my so goal the, is to never yeah. have somebody put a story down and go, eh, that was okay. I want them to read the next story and the next story. Um, off the top of your head, let me ask you, Alan, how many modern-day authors are making an impression with you when you read their their work? 
Oh, uh, modern day, well, there's not too many. There's a few. Um, but I'm dealing in um, true crime. Okay. Uh, so uh, it, it depends on the type of story. Uh, you know, there's, you have to deal with a lot of truth. So there's, there's um, and the characters, you can't really decide um, how they would react or act or what they do. They sort of have already done what they've done. And you're kind of um, stuck with that. So uh, yeah. I think it's more more about um, if you can if you can add uh, it. The hardest thing with that is putting a voice to take you through the whole story and the whole crime. So um, I take people like um, um, oh geez, you know um, you know uh, who was that uh, Truman Capote, right? When he did the, his his book, um, the big book he did, um, In Cold Blood, um, he had a way of putting a voice to what had happened and, and walking you through the whole thing. Um, and that's the hardest thing to do in true crime. And, and most of the books I, I read or listen to um, miss that. Right. You know, I find if the author has done their job and describe the character to the point where you can relate to them. You have a you have a good story. I like to I've used this uh, phrase before reality horror with my writing because I write things that the reader can relate to as happening to them for real, um, not some of the the hokey slasher movies where the killer never dies. So I like to leave that little threat in their mind that they just read this story. Could it happen to them? Could it be the guy walking down the street looking at them as they walk past? Can you trust him? I always like to keep the reader involved. And if you do a story in such a way that story carries on with the reader after they're done with it. So what other things influence you? Uh, when, when you put the, um, the writers and horror movies and all that aside, uh, what else in life has a big influence on you? Wow. I think it's just coming across a lot of ideas when I'm out and about in the world. Um, right now, uh, I've got two or three hotel stories I've written, and it's because for my real-time job, I travel a lot. So I'll notice who the person is behind the counter when I check in. Um, and then there's a few things that just come together, and that question always comes to me, and I say, what if? <laughs> And you never know what if. And I've applied that in many different scenarios with some of my stories. And I go from there. Believe it or not, I've even looked at some of these anthologies that are put out. And I'll think, hey, that was a really great theme. I'm not ready to write something just for that now. And I'll put it away. And I'll start a story on it. And 
finish it. One day it'll be for somebody else's info or it'll go into one of my short story collections. So they don't all come from me. Uh, I I do pick up ideas along the way, um, but generally I think it's uh, ideas that come to me when I'm out and about in the world. So if that if, if if you get a lot of it from people you come across or meet, like the hotel check-in person and uh, taxi drivers or whatever, um, when things like what's happened in the recent times, um, you know, with the COVID and and um, and now the riots and stuff, so all of the turmoil going on, does that stop you from writing? And if it doesn't. Does it make you write even darker or from a darker point of view? Well, with the whole COVID thing, how many virus movies have we already seen done? Um, Right. Oh, yeah. I was just watching the Dustin Hoffman one that was on television (laughs) this afternoon. I mean, if it's been done already, I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to walk away because... After being quarantined, I, I live in New Jersey, and our governor shut our state down. Um, it's still shut down, but I, I self-quarantined for 45 days. And I'm more likely to write a, a story about my quarantine time with my wife and four daughters than I am to write about COVID. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, but that in itself does it. Uh, even if you're writing another story, you got a, nothing to do with um, the virus itself or a virus story. You're just you're in you're writing a story. You're starting it. You got an idea and you're starting to write, and all of a sudden something like this happens, where it becomes very you know dark or scary or tragic in the world. Does that affect the story that you're writing on? Not at all. Because oh, okay. I, uh, I usually find that, you know, other than picking out characters and things like that from the world, um, I'm not a real, uh, how do I put it? I try to stay away from the craziness, uh, and you and I were just talking about it, about politics and other world tragedies that go on, because I can almost guarantee you, after this whole COVID-19 is done and dissipated, uh, you and I are going to see dozens of virus stories come out in the next 90 days. And after being self-quarantined and things like that with the public, do you think they really want to read more of that right now? I hope Uh, not, but... I think they're tired of it. Um... I think they want something fresh, something that's going to distract them from the problems of the world right now. So I think uh, authors should write something different to entertain their public right now other than giving them the the status quo of what's going on in the world. Yeah. What are your biggest challenges then? having too many thoughts at once. And I mean that wholeheartedly because with four novels in various stages of completion, one of them is at 
600 pages, and I would have to tell you it's not even half done. Uh, it's a historical thriller involving the New Jersey Devil. And I've written all the early 17, 1800s. Uh, I'm into the 1900s now, and I have a whole cast of villains for modern day that will all hook into everything I've already written. So, and the other thing is there's, I'm looking at 45 short story ideas that I've started and I just keep chiseling away at them and I'm getting ready to finish my next short story collection called Gossamer and I'm probably half a story away and a couple days of editing. But if I were to finish the book now, I don't think I'll release it until September. I don't think uh, the public uh, would purchase something like this at the moment. Um, I think the timing's wrong, and I'd rather wait till everybody's back in their normal frame of mind. Well, that makes sense. Um, well, so now you. Um have a thing called the Horror Society. So so explain what that is. Uh, the Horror Society started back in 2012, January. There were a lot of people I was talking to who were beginning writers, and they were having issues about getting started and getting published. And... Basically, all they had at their hands at that time was the endless supply of how-to books at the local bookstore. And most of the people bought them and followed their advice and still didn't get published. So unless you were willing to shell out uh, over $100 a year as a starving artist just starting out, um, there were very few places that were willing to give you advice at no charge. So I was talking to two or three people that I knew, and I said, what if we started a group of people in the horror industry that have been in places before that can help others out with just advice, no charge, just helping people out. And everybody said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So they said, you can start it, Scott. <laughs> so I took the lead on it, and the Horror Society has been around since January of 2012. We have 1,350-plus members, all are contributing in some way to the horror universe. You know, the original thought was, let's just uh, open the horror society to writers and authors. Well, as its popularity started growing, I said, you know what? Why don't we help out the entire industry? So we started inviting actors and actresses and script writers and movie producers, artists, musicians, 
anybody and everybody that had something to do with the, the world of horror. And what we did was we actually created a community that can contact each other. Somebody comes out with a new book cover, they can put the book cover out there and ask for opinions, and we can fine-tune book covers together. If you wanted somebody to help you with a story that you're writing and you just hit a brick wall, we have authors that will team up together and finish the story. If you're looking for an editor to work on your story after your work is done, we have editors that offer their services. So we have anybody and everybody that would possibly be able to help you finish a project in this group. Um, at one time, uh, Clyde Barker was part of the group. Uh, I don't think he's – I think he's faded uh, as he's gotten busier over the, the years. Um, but the Cenobites from the Hellraiser movies are here. And there's a whole slew. Uh, Ed Edmonds is here from um, – I'm trying to think of the work. He, he makes all the uh, masks and hands and costumes. Uh, Tom Savini is part of the group. So there's a lot of knowledge in this group, and they all share if, you've, if you have a question. We've done about six anthologies from the Horror Society every time uh, we have time. Um, we have editors that jump in that do the editing. We have artists that do the book covers. And we publish a book. It's probably been two years since our last one, but we were doing almost a book a year at one time. But life has just gotten busy, so uh, we haven't had any new projects. Uh, probably in 20. 22, we will do a 10-year anniversary book. Uh, so there's a lot of good things. So, so can anybody join that horror society, or is there what's what's it take to do? They can join without any issue. The only exception is we have people that do look into the individual uh, to make sure it doesn't become a fan base because of a lot of the members that are here in our community. We don't want a, a fan getting into the group and contacting others um, for anything other than creative questions. Uh, we're trying to keep it as a, a working group. So uh, a serious group. Yeah, yeah. Like just writers. Well, again, writers, filmmakers. Um, we have everybody... In this group, uh, globally, we have people in England, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. And it's just a matter that we like members that are looking to further their careers uh, instead of just asking for an autograph. So uh, what's the uh, – maybe give out the contact or the website so people that are interested – yeah, if they want to look it up and see what it's about and, and join, maybe, um, where would they go? They would go to Facebook, and it's a, a simple web page, and it's called the Horror Society, and it's closed. But there will be people there that will take your application if you ask to join, and they may call you and ask what you're working on and what 
your goals are to in joining the group. Uh, the one thing about the site that's different than most um, so-called Facebook groups is this is not a place to post your items for sale. If you come out with a book, you can post a new book cover and announce when it's being released, but if you post it with like an Amazon.com link or something like that, um, it, we don't permit it because we want to keep the material that's being posted to have some type of value to the membership. And if we let it get into just advertisements, it has no value and there's no reason to be here. Okay. So now, um, What's what? What are your plans coming up the next year or so? Do you plan on? Um, you said you're going to release one maybe in fall. Um, so you're just going to keep on writing books, or are you going to do something more? Or what, what do you think? Well, it's everybody's pipe dream to have Hollywood call them, because uh, the years of the 1980s paychecks for authors is no longer something that will happen. Um, very rarely will someone get a $40 million paycheck as uh, Mr. King did or J.K. Rowling. Um, it just, uh, it's far and few between for that nowadays. But what every author yeah. wants is they want Hollywood to call them and say, hey, we'd like to put an option on one or a few of your stories. And that's where the popularity really kicks in, and that will <sighs> skyrocket that author's career. Okay, then. So now, how do people uh, find your books and get a hold of you? Like, do you have a website and things, and, and where, do they, where do they find you? I did have a website, and it took up a lot of my time. So instead of having it, drag me away from my creative zone, um, you can reach me by Facebook, uh, Scott M. Gorisak, or you can go to the Horror Society on Facebook. I just use Facebook because it's easy to manage, and I have assistance in helping run the Horror Society. So if my busy real-time life uh, has me going in different directions, somebody else is always uh, there and has my back. Uh, my books I primarily put on Amazon.com, and a lot of the anthologies that I've been part of, uh, you can find on there also. Okay, then. Um, that's fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm glad you took some time. Uh, just before we go, who, who are some of your favorite uh, horror authors of modern time? Or do you have any? Well, I, I like Stephen King in his early years. I really haven't read much of his uh, newer material. Uh, Clive Barker, again, his earlier material. Um, I have not read too many others at the moment. Uh, Dan Cohane is, is a great author. Uh, Henry Snyder, I think Henry's out of Colorado. I find his work very good. Um, 
so there's there's a lot of great authors out there that haven't been able to penetrate the public because uh, they don't have a big publisher behind them. But uh, I definitely encourage someone that's looking for something new and refreshing to visit Amazon.com and just pick out an author that maybe you've never read before. You might discover a whole new world. Yeah, that's true. Do, so do you, do, you, do you find yourself venturing in other genres like, you know, let's say comedy or... Um, uh, you know, romance or true crime or something else, history? I did, and it just flows better if I'm doing horror. Um, I have a few other works I, I have put aside. Um, I'm My real-time job, I'm active in the pet industry, and every year I write a book called uh, Fine-Tuning Retail Pet. And it's a basic how to make your retail establishment better. So I, I do dabble in a few things, but horrors where my uh, passion lies. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. It's all good. Well, uh, fantastic. So what we'll do is we'll have you um, your books put up on our website as well. So anybody listening can go one click and. Uh, find you and find your horror society um, page as well um, I really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, filling us in on the world of horror well thank you Al I appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity to speak to everyone today and again pick an author you've never heard of and buy a book because you're going to be surprised that there's a lot of great work out there Fantastic. Certainly is. Again, our guest has been uh, Scott Gorsak, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Al. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.